Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. I don't know about you guys, I'm not a real big, I wouldn't call myself a coyote hunter, but I will tell you this, when I go to the deer stand and I see a coyote, it turns into a coyote hunt. Yeah, (laughs) right then. I I can't think of one that I've ever passed up the opportunity to shoot at. So tonight, we're joined by Garrett Johnson, the 2018 national champion coyote hunter, and then back-to-back 2019 and 2020 world champion coyote hunter. Uh, and I've got with me, I got Jim tonight. Hello. Jordan. Here. Briar. How's it going? And Garrett, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I don't know where you want me to start. Just, uh, how'd you get into coyote hunting? Yeah. Love coyote hunting. Um, you know, I've told this story to a lot of my, my followers, uh, you know, that follow me on podcasts and the other ones that I've done, but grew up on a dairy farm. Um, just always loved the outdoors. My dad's always taking me big game hunting. My dad wasn't uh, super into predator hunting. He's gotten into predator hunting since he's watched his son and my passion for it. But uh, as far as, you know, where I got my base for predator hunting was um, kind of a fluke deal. Um, my father-in-law at the time, he uh, he's like, you just blow on this here call and you just – make this sound and, and these cows will come, you know, and I was 15 years old and I'm like, Oh bullshit. And he, uh, he's like, no, no, I promise you just blow on this, this call. And it sounds like a dying rabbit. I didn't know what a dying rabbit sounded like at 15 years old. I had no idea. Anyway, uh, he commenced to blowing on that thing. And sure enough, Kyle showed up 200 yards and we both started shooting at it before it could even, even decide what was going on and then after that i was like you know what give me that thing i'm gonna try that out so i took it out and did the exact same thing and called in a pair of coyotes when i was by myself and didn't get either what either of them shot they both just about ran me over and i thought man if this happens like this all the time this is something i definitely could get into i got to figure out what i got to do and so then i just started doing the research and getting into the johnny stewart tapes and and uh you know doing all kinds of stuff and that's kind of where i got my base for for predators and then you know my uncle got me into trapping really early in in uh you know about that same time i started 
running traps, you know, about when I was 20 years old, I'm 40 now. So I've been trapping for about 20 years and, you know, predators have always just been a big passion to me. And that's just, you know, that's, that's Garrett Johnson is, is predator hunting. And, you know, it's one of those things that I've just never, I've had a lot of hobbies come and go, but that's just one of them that's just always stuck with me. We used to, what, when was it? That was a, probably about high school age. We had a, there's a big farm down the road from us. And we used to go out there and shoot all kinds of varmints and stuff. But we tried our hand at coyote hunting out there. We just never were extremely successful. I don't think we were ever successful. It's not as open coyote hunting. I had some, I had some mild success in, uh, out there in some areas around said farm where we had pretty good success there. There was a lot of rabbits there. Um, we may or may not should have supposed to have been there. Yeah. You had a unique hunt where you unique, <laughs> hand, unique back out. But, uh, no, I, I mean, when I was hunting, uh, can't remember the guy's name I was hunting with, but when I did hunt with him, he, he had a pretty good idea what he was doing. We were killing coyotes out there on the sod fields and everything else. And, but down here in Florida, like, you know, you're out there in Utah. What's your average shot out there at a coyote distance wise? I don't know. I kind of stuff at making sure that they're coming to the call and, and, you know, a, a hung up coyote can be anywhere from, you know, a thousand yards to 300 yards. But if he's hung up, I usually don't take that shot, you know, unless he's, in a comfortable range for me. And that's, that's 300 yards. You know, I'm not one of those dial up and, and shoot type guys. I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time to run out there and go get that coyote. I want them, I want them committed. I want them coming to me. I want them doing what I was trying to do, you know, and, and having a coyote out there barking at 600 yards, he can, he can stay there till dogging season when I come around with my dogs and he can't say no. So, <laughs> so what, what we're running to in Florida if you could get them within a hundred yards in a lot of places, you'd be okay. But like you said, they get hung up. So yeah. in Florida, if they're hung up, you ain't seeing them. You ain't seeing them. Yeah. yeah. We can't. Yeah. yeah. It's too thick. Yeah. You don't mow your lawn down here and a week later, you get zebras gracing it. I mean, it's everything grows. <laughs> it's, 20 nothing. Yeah, it's, it's nothing for us to see one hung up sitting on his ass at 800 yards out here. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, usually the only way you see them is because you can hear them. You know, there's a warning bark and things that go on out here in Utah, especially this time of year. They're all just, they're all just super call shy. They're all just super educated, um, and that's something that that happens a lot this time of year right now out here. And I'm just at the point I've done it enough, and there's really no sense in educating that coyote even more than I need to, you know, even me just getting up out of my seat and walking back into my pickup is going to educate him plenty. You know, I don't need to be banging shots off at him. So what, what kind of role does like a howl play in that if he's hung up or is that just a locator? Um, it depends. I mean, what time of the year and what you're trying to do, what, what kind of a howl you're using, what, what you're throwing at those coyotes. Um, time of the year really means a lot. Um, this time of year, we're going to start rolling into a breeding season. A lot of these younger females are going to start coming into heat right now. Um, males are going to start getting a lot more aggressive and you're going to start seeing reactions change. There are 
um, lulls in December, the end of December into January, you know, that's usually the hardest time to call predator in Utah and other states if there was a hard time to call them. Um, but just learning the language, speaking the language is just something that uh, is not is not taught it's learned you know by a whole bunch of whole bunch of time out there in the field so i'll say i know uh, pretty much what i know here for in florida at least or in our area for what i know for like season to shoot coyotes is i essentially don't bother with them until the cows start calving okay then we go hit the pastures huh when do you guys usually calve what's normal out there Man, I just I don't I don't have any cows, but I got buddies that have cows and stuff, and I just don't bother with them until he's like, "Hey, my cows are calving." Yeah. So. Well, it's probably like out here. Some guys calve, you know, spring. Some guys calve late winter. You know, it just depends. You know, sometimes you got fall calves too. So. Yeah, I was gonna say because we get them twice a year. Yeah, once once they year. when he says they're calving, you can almost guarantee that we can go hit the pasture and we ain't got a call or nothing. They're just gonna be out there. Well, they're just out there cleaning up. That that's a thing with coyote. They get a bad reputation, super bad reputation. But if you've watched coyotes and done as much, you know, research as on them as I feel like I have, they get a bad rap for something that they're just out there. There's candy on the ground, basically. There's just it's like it's like uh, Halloween for coyotes. They're they're cleaning up the afterbirth. There's a whole bunch of different things that happen with the birth of a calf and. Kyle's just out there, you know, eating the the scours of a calf, even, you know, that good colostrum milk that mom just gave to him. They're going to, you know, they're going to get rid of it. And that Kyle, that's, that's candy to a Kyle. That's just, that's everything they look for every year. You know, every now and then you do run into a problem Kyle that has figured out how to, how to kill a calf. You know, I, I've, I've actually only had one experience with that where a guy knew what the coyotes were doing. There was a pair of them and they were, they were going over and ripping the calf out of the mom when she laid down to give birth. I mean, that's just, they, they had their deal and they knew what they, they knew what they had to do. And, and, uh, we're good at it. I went in there and I took out one of those coyotes. Well, I, I feel like it was one of those coyotes. You know what I mean? I was calling in there and doing some calf distress and I, the, the both of them showed up. I killed one of them. And he never did have a problem after that. So I feel like I kind of eliminated that problem. There is problem coyotes for sure, but it's kind of weird. You're talking to a guy that'll stick up for a coyote a hell of a lot more than most guys. <laughs> and that, that is kind of a strange thing, right? The coyote hunter sticks up for the coyote. Yeah. But I think that it, it's easier to uh, to feel that way when that that's the, the game you're pursuing. That's uh, yeah. your number one thing. Because uh, you, you want to conserve that for later take well you, you probably arguably you know, understand it better than most people do yeah it's just like mule deer hunting i mean guys that res- you know or any any big game hunting they respect those animals you know that lion hunters around here are super crazy about shooting females and things like that and there's just you know they're just yeah like you're saying looking out for things that they know are right and wrong you know and they kind of get a you know People that are uneducated with that kind of stuff, they say things that are untrue. It's no different with human beings. You know, they're uneducated with that person. They're going to say something that ain't true about that person, too. 
I was going to ask when you mentioned they they're out there cleaning up the the afterbirth primarily from the limited observations I've had of watching coyotes skirting around fields. I get more of an impression they're more mousers than anything else. They're looking for whatever. Vol. Yeah. yeah, voles exactly. They're digging things up. Um, they're not yeah. necessarily trying to track down fawns and I or deer fawns or whatever. And I can imagine that once a fawn probably gets more than a couple of days underneath it, coyote's not going to catch it anyway. Absolutely. Is that Absolutely. Your- you know, there. everybody forgets, but a coyote is an opportunist. That's the best way to put it. Kyle is an opportunist. He's going to, he's going to take an opportunity and he's going to run with it. That's just all there is to it. If there's, if there's a mama that's left their calf behind and it's just laying there and it's a couple hours old, he's an opportunist. If he's got a chance, he's going to take it. Hmm. So hey, have you ever ate a coyote yet? I haven't, man. I, are they worth I'd like to say or? I have. I've ate a bobcat that I trapped, but I am yet to try a coyote. Mm. What, was your take, what was your take on bobcat? Uh, it was horrible. Me and the boys have been into <laughs> way too many beers. It, uh, it had been sitting in the garage for entirely too long, and we cooked it horribly, so we didn't give it a fair shot. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to tell me that. We've eaten a couple. I was and, uh, bobcat. At least in the south, is it's pork. Really? Nice. Yeah, it's pork, man. If you if you were to, it's white meat. If you were to take like say a a Costco or a Sam's Club, you know, big thick pork chop and cut that into cubes, and you cut up bobcat into cubes, and you cook them all together, the reasonable reasonably same seasoning, you would you'd be hard pressed to tell which one was which. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, you this mentioned- was a big old tom, and I couldn't get the smell. Like I say, I'm a trapper too, and I couldn't get the smell of that that urine out of that meat. I could just mm. smell that cat. Yeah. I could just smell cat. That's funny. I thought when I first I ate it on a dare the first time, you know, I killed one and the guys in my camp said you got to eat it. And I said I'll yeah. eat it if you'll eat it. But it's funny <laughs> that you mentioned the urine because I would have sworn that's what I expected it to taste like, and it didn't. Well, the first batch we ever made, we we made up as fajitas. But yeah, man, I think anyway, if you get another chance at it, I'd, I'd give you your. Uh, I didn't give it a fair shot, yeah. guaranteed. I, a hundred percent. That that was unfair to the taste of a bobcat. The way we went about that, but at least I can say I did it. Sat sat in the garage, kind of, kind yeah, of tip us off at me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you want to talk about somebody that knows coyotes, this man right here is the the man to talk to because I, Garrett, I've man, I don't know when I, I probably started following you on Instagram. And like 2015 or something, it was a long time ago. And I know that at some point he has not what hold that thought for a second till this police car gets by. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, he is not specifically encaged, housed, but he has had two coyotes in his possession, like, like as pup, raised them from pups. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me about that. How'd that go? <laughs> well, <laughs> see, I mean, that's how you know it's going to be. A, <laughs> well, he says, "Well, <laughs> I do know." At one point, that I saw some post that he said that they are not good pets. <laughs> I don't. I don't doubt it. Most wild animals I, I don't agree. tend to make good pets. 
but no and nobody should do it it's very it's very unfair to the coyote you know my my two got killed um it was unlawful for me to keep them in a cage and i lived in a place where i didn't have any neighbors um they were free range they could come and go as they please but they knew home was our house because i raised them before their eyes were even open um i was just curious and I'm glad I did it, but I'm also wishing that I would never have done it just because of the respect I have for a coyote. They didn't know natural um, danger like they normally would. And that's, you know, that was their demise. That was what, you know, essentially killed them was them not knowing that the the humans that they lived with weren't going to kill them, but everyone right. else that saw them was definitely going to pursue them and try to kill them. And that's, that's what killed them was their, you know, on, I don't know. They lost being the humans <laughs> to that. But uh, as far as having them, boy, did I learn a lot, man, did I learn a lot from coyotes. I learned, uh, I learned that they will gourd themselves to the point where their little stomachs would swell up so big every single time I fed them something. Um, and then they would go and, and I would follow them around the property and they would find certain spots and they would dig and they would look, they would look back like, is anybody watching what I'm doing? And, and you'll watch and your dog will do it too sometimes depending, you know, what he's got, but they would dig it up, dig a nice hole and they would regurgitate it and they would bury it. And then they walk away from it and coming to find out that's what a coyote does to survive in the wintertime. Basically making caches all, all around their, their set territory. And if they're unsuccessful one day, they're going to walk back to that, that spot. They knew that they got rid of that. They're going to dig it up and have a, have a meal regardless of what it tastes like. Coyotes, I don't feel like really care what it tastes like, but, um, I think that's a lot to do with the success early, early season trapping as well. You know, we're basically doing the exact same thing. We're, we're putting bait in a hole and a coyote's walking by it. He's essentially seeing that as another coyote's uh, reserve. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's going to go and dig it up and eat it. And he didn't know that there was a, you know, a Duke number four sitting underneath the, the dirt right there you know what i mean that's what get them, what what gets them caught and uh that was something that i learned from those pups um survivalists um to the fullest there's there's a reason why you can't eradicate these these coyotes is because they're so adaptive they can do oh man it's just crazy the respect i have for coyotes i honestly get chills talking about them because i love them so much um but uh yeah, just just the things I learned that I can't really explain to you guys because it wouldn't make a whole bunch of sense. But it it was it was a learning deal for me. But will I do it again? Absolutely not. They love uh, they love females. It's really weird. They love my 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 wife and my daughter way more than they like. They don't like the deep tones, the deep voices. They like the the you know if I talk to them in a sweet little voice, you know they loved it, but. As soon as you talk to them in a man voice or, or raised your voice, boy, they were gone. I mean, just flat gone. So it's, I've heard that from a lot of people. They like females a lot more than they do males. 
So it almost kind of makes a little sense because if you think about any kind of like distressed call, it's a higher pitched. You know, any any kind of distress, anything, it's going to be a higher pitched call. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that they come it's to. It's in their ears for sure. I mean, it's no different than your dog. If you get after your dog, you don't yeah. get after him in a, in a soft voice. You get after him in your man voice. That, that's what, what I was going to compare it to is like, is your like your pet dog. You know, you're, mm-hmm. when you could tell when you're all sweet talking to it, it and you're usually in a higher pitch, the dog yeah. gets excited. But when you get onto it in a lower voice, you know, it kind of cowers away. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So tell me from your experience, I, I think that a lot of people uh, without a deep knowledge of coyotes and the way they behave uh, like myself, <clears throat> I think we tend to view them largely as pack animals, almost like wolves. Do you see that type of behavior? Yeah, it's, it's weird you say that, that you see them as a pack animal because a lot of people don't see them as pack animals. I never see a bu- they, you never see a big group together, but you you hear well, man, when coyotes when howl, they yip. yeah, it, it sounds yeah. like there's see, like 20, 30 of them. That that to me is them being together. I mean, that's that howl is basically what we call as a, a roll call. Um, finding out where Jim and Susie and Tom and everybody's at that day. That's there's what I call a roll call, and that's a, a serenade of of types that, uh, you know, it starts on one end of the valley and it works its way all the way up through the valley to the point where you can't even hear and it'll continue. I mean, sometimes I've thought, man, does it ever end? Does it really ever end? Like if you get coyotes going and they go, 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 you can't hear those coyotes two miles away. You can hear the ones at one mile away, but at two miles away and then on up the valley, I mean, it's, it's pretty neat. There's definitely a, a language and uh, a pack oriented thing there because you know when we're decoying come springtime and we're killing younger younger males that everyone back in the day i feel like you know a lot of guys that i followed and this and that were like oh those males they get kicked out and they head out and they got to find their own place blah 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 not always true because we're killing um, males on one stand that are that are trying to protect the den just the same way the females are and the alpha alpha female alpha male and so for the alpha male to allow those two young males in there to help and do what they're doing they got to be more way more pack oriented than we feel they are so um, how many yeah, cats feel, yeah I was going to ask, how many cats do you think you've observed over the last 20 years, 25 years? I don't know. Definitely a lot more um, in the last, I'd say, about seven years since I've traveled outside of Utah. Because you don't get – last year was my best year in Utah. And I was unemployed, and I basically made coyote hunting my job for a year to see what I could do. I killed a hundred Utah coyotes, 100 Utah coyotes. And that was a lot. That was from what I hear that, you know, other, that was not a single one of those was trapped last year. That was all, that was all called and killed coyotes. And that was by far my best year, but I put a lot of 
a lot of time, a lot of effort into putting that many coyotes in the bed of the truck. That's a ton. That's two a day. Or two a week. <laughs> two a week. I apologize. Two a week. So you mentioned, week, yeah. You mentioned uh, going after them with dogs. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I'd love to. That's uh, that's my favorite way to hunt coyotes. Really? By far. It's uh, it's no different than these guys that run lions and things. They're there for their dogs. They're not yeah. there to watch the lion get killed in the tree. They're there for their dogs. They're, they're there to watch their dog take a cold track and, and run it. It's the same exact way we feel about our decoy dogs. And, you know, I don't think it matters the breed. I think it matters with exposure. You just got to yeah. expose you just got to expose those dogs um, to what you're wanting them to do. And I run cow bred dogs, you know, they're, they're bred to be supposed of cow, cow bred dogs. And I mean, I've got my dog retrieving birds, you know, like as long as you just tell them what you want from them and they understand, and I feel a cow bred dog understands human language a little bit better than some breeds, you know, they just are so, adaptive and just i don't know like they're smart cowbred dogs yeah. are just me i just think they're neat they just understand my language a lot better than other other dogs and what i'm asking out of them you know i've had good labs duck dogs that have been awesome in the past too but it's just all exposure so um when we're hunting with our dogs it's typically starting in march and it's, it's, it's hard to get them to react in March because they're just barely putting some pups on the ground. There's only a few females that are putting pups on the ground at that time. And then it just heats up because from March till about June, all those pups are hitting the dirt and they're getting out there. And then it it's just like, I mean, a flick of the switch. And it's just, you go in the right spot, you know where coyotes are at you've had like um, you've been unsuccessful with those same exact coyotes you know exactly where they're living they're going to be denning within the same area if you get in there and you just swat the bees nest just a little bit it's a whole different reaction i mean once they see those dogs and they're locked on i mean there's a difference between you know the young female that's helping with the den that comes out of the sagebrush and she sees my dog I've seen them to where they just lay right flat on their belly and lay their head on the ground. They don't want my dog to see them. They're just kind of coming out to check her out, look at them. They're not aggressive. They're not the dominant. So they're just kind of, they're kind of sitting there just assessing the situation, maybe even waiting for backup. I don't really know, but that's not the coyote that I'm targeting. The, the coyote I'm targeting is the one she's waiting for to show up mom or dad or or someone else that's way more aggressive than her. And all of a sudden that dog will come out and they'll lock onto your dog. And that's what I call it. I call it like locking onto your dog. Once they're focused in on your dog, it, I mean, shit, you can get up and do jumping jacks. They don't, <laughs> they, they don't about nothing really else with that dog. about anything other than just getting that other dog out of the country. So, and they do, they do their best job. And, and my dog's job is to just keep them, uh you know engaged that's it that's all yeah. they're doing they know exactly what they're supposed to do they go out i don't even have to tone the dog they'll just go out turn and come right back to me and then they come back to me that cow comes a little closer just right back after him chase them off a little further and it's just an engagement 
and so, it's just so much fun to watch. So to get to that point, are you still using the dog to track the coyote, or is that just you know no, they're in the no, area no, and mean, that your dog's out? So, uh, it's up to me to know where the coyotes are going to be, not my dogs. We're not going okay. in following a track and getting in anywhere. Um, my dogs won't, they won't take a, a coyote's track without blood. Okay. If there's blood on the track and I've just shot that coyote, that usually happens at night. And that's what I use my dogs for. Okay. And they're multi-use, you know, for recovery, mostly in the nighttime not yeah. not necessarily during the day we did recover a dog right here behind my house um i just got done pulling a couple hides off some some uh coyotes and a bobcat and i was just headed up behind the house to the dump to go dump the carcasses and there was a coyote on the dump and i made a poor shot and uh i sent the dogs and when i sent the dogs they ran it for hell of a lot longer than I wanted to run across the snow, <laughs> but they had him bait up just like anything else and just circled around and just trying to get anything they could on him, just get their, get their mouth on his neck. And by the time I got there, they had him stretched out and I would have never recovered that dog had I not had my dogs. And that happens a lot in the nighttime when you're hunting in the nighttime, a lot of, a lot of poor shots are made and uh, it's, it's nice to have the dogs on your side. You, know, you so, mentioned the dogs that you're using are cowbred dogs. Are you using uh, some kind of shepherds? Are you using sheep dogs? Are you using corgis? Healer. What do you? What so, kind of dogs are you using? I got an awesome breed out of Idaho from Seth Simpson. It's a, it's called an Idaho Shag, and it's a back in the day it was a quarter Kelpie, a quarter Border Collie, quarter Australian Shepherd, and a quarter Airedale Terrier, and they've kind of gotten you know, mixed up and done this and that with, but I feel like mine's pretty damn close to the, to that line. And, um, so that's, that's what she is. That's what mom is. I've got two pups I'm working right now. Uh, I love that breed. It's just, uh, and it's just a, such a neat breed. I don't really feel like I need to go into the, the cur breeds and other, other stuff. I just love those dogs. They're just, they're just neat. You know, they're different than a healer. They don't, they don't get fat. They got a little bit more terrier, a little bit more high strung. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it matters really. I mean, but that's, that's what I like. I like my dogs and I got a soft spot for them. And they're an Idaho shag and I love them. So yeah, they were say, good for down here. Either a lot of the, a lot of the guys I know either run like uh, some type of Walker or they'll run a healer. For cattle yeah not curved. this is a so this 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 breed was bred for cows more so to send them they got they're a little gritty they're a little bit more gritty than your shepherds and things like that you know the more the harder they get kicked in the face the harder they usually go back i mean <laughs> each dog's a little different got different personalities for sure i mean i've got a little bitch outside that uh she's full full-blooded border collie and the australian shepherd i mean she didn't get any airedale and she didn't get any kelpie she's just a little sweetheart that just is timid but boy if you set her off whoo the shag comes out of her she's all fire yeah wonder how they do and then i've got her her brother that uh he he's all airedale like 
he looks totally different. He acts totally different. And he's just, he's nothing but business. I mean, everything he does is just strictly business. He don't care to be petted. He just, he's got a job and that's what he loves to do. I mean, they were just designed and Idaho shag was just designed to be more of a grittier breed with, you know, the Kelpie breed and more, more in the face of a cow, a little bit grittier, you know, just they're, they're a neat breed. So, uh, I heard you say earlier that coyotes are survivalists. So when yeah. it comes to running them with dogs, I take it that they probably don't they don't fight the dogs much. It's just essentially them trying I mean. to get the dog out of their territory. Survivalists, coyotes don't want to fight because they know if they get hurt, they ain't going to the vet. I know that they don't know that, but they they can't get hurt. They can't they can't get themselves into predicament. You know, they're not there are coyotes out there. It's crazy. It's just like any other breed of, breed of dog. There's coyotes out there that are just meaner than hell. They're dirty mean, and they they got no quit. And then you've got other coyotes that just lay down and die. I mean, you even look at them and they lay down. It's just it's just crazy. It just depends on the coyote. But coyote, they don't want to fight. They just want to get you out of there. They just you know. The only time they're really going to fight is that time of year from March to, you know, in the summer months. Yeah, protecting pups. Yeah, yeah that's all they're there for. They're, they're there to make sure that those pups make it to an age that they can kind of do it on their own. So when, when, you're, uh, <clears throat> when you're running the dogs for coyotes, are you running that to, to kill coyotes or are you running that just to watch the dogs work? You know, anymore, it's just for me to watch dogs and me with the camera. Now that I've gotten into photography a lot more, I've always been super into photography, but I went and spent a bunch of money, talked to some guys, and I bought the proper equipment. And anymore, there were times this this spring that I was just going out simply to take pictures, really. Just that's that's all there is to it. I was just going out to take pictures. I would... I'm to the point now where I just want to sit back. I want to call them in and if somebody's there and they want to kill them, good on you. But I mean, my bloodlust has definitely gone down. I'm, I'm 40 years old and just killed a lot of coyotes and I just don't have the bloodlust like I used to. I was going to say, you, you said you bought a camera. I didn't know if, if that was for your, you still do the, the, what's that? Uh, coyote sniper or is that uh, a- the youtube channel yeah i actually just turned that over to my buddy he does the wyoming predator hunts he's my partner he was my partner in the nationals and the world and a whole bunch of other big tournaments that him and i have won won together um yeah he he's running a business fully guided hunts you know year round he's hunting year round now so when i met that when i met that kid i can say kid he's shit he's only 26 or 27 now uh you know he only hunted for fur that's all he did he hunted for simply to just put fur in the truck and only hunted from october till you know they started to rub in february and march now he hunts year round he hunts with dogs and guides full time and he stays busier in hell and uh loves it it. you um you mentioned hunting for fur and it's funny down here the, the coyotes we have because we don't we don't get that that cold season. Most of the coyotes that 
I've knocked down down here or in Georgia all are thin, shabby. I mean, you can see where because they've gotten to skirmishes with, I mean, the hides missing. Um, yeah. But when we were, it's, it's kind of a catch 22. When we were in Tennessee, um, I got to look at a coyote twice. And it's the first time I've ever seen a coyote that just had that, um, that beautiful, long, the kind of hair that you'd expect to see on a coat. Sure. Oddly enough, though, you mentioned the lack of bloodlust. These guys all asked me why I didn't kill it. And that's kind of why. You know, it's kind of as if I wasn't going to eat it. Um, I didn't. I'm not opposed to it, right? I'm not opposed to knocking down a coyote. If, if you're if you're setting forth to be a predator hunter and you're targeting that animal, more power to you. But it's kind of strange because I, I sat there and I had had him dead to rights. I saw my two different hunts. Um and I thought about it, but I was, I don't know, man. It was weird. As catch 22 is, that's the first coyote <clears throat> that if I had knocked it over, would have been worth taking the pelt. Yet, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this whole conversation other than, no, I, we I just don't see that. I mean, you're the, you're the oldest guy in the room besides me, yeah. you know what I mean? I just feel like you kind of get to a point in your life, if you've killed enough stuff growing up, I feel like you get to a point in your life where you're just like, somebody else's turn you know hell i don't just go down the the road with my daisy 20 or my daisy bb gun and just shoot every tweety bird that moves you know that's what i did when i was a little kid anything that moved it died and now it's just i've killed enough coyotes like i just don't need to all the time you know when it's first season around here you know we have a bounty on coyotes it's a 50 dollar bounty and there's a possibility that i can get another 50 bucks out of that coyote that's a hundred dollar bill running around there. Of course I'm going to kill it. You know, there's a certain time, but come other times of the year that I'm hunting and doing what I do, I don't have that lust like I do this time of year. This time of year, it's still, you know, every coyote dies. Even if it's right out the truck window, it's going to die. <laughs> I didn't know there were still states that had bounties on coyotes. Yeah, we just, yeah, 50 bucks. So, Dang. I mean, there's, there's definitely motivation and, to kill them around here. And that's a lot of the reason for the, um, the outcome of each stand and calling in this state right now. And for the last, you know, quite a few years, it's just been, it's been tough. Will's about to go bananas on squirrels for 17 cent a squirrel tail. Imagine what you do <laughs> yeah. for 50 bucks. hundred <laughs> percent. These guys are all probably still rolling around in their twenties though. Uh, I'm the only, yeah. He's the only one in his 20s. I'm the only one left in my 20s. <laughs> me, me and Will are 31. <laughs> uh, so, out of it. so uh, you know, you, you we kind of talked about at the beginning of your your uh, national championship, world championship titles, and I want to get to that. But, but before we get to that, we've also kind of brushed upon trapping coyotes. And uh, let's. I want I want to dive into that. <sighs> What, it, what really goes into trapping coyotes? A lot of hard work, honestly. Trapping's by far, oh man, it's like. Fooling. It's a, it's, it's a whole nother job on top of your daily job. Um, you get home tired and you got to go check your line because you owe it to that coyote. Plus you, you know, you have uh a lot of time around here it's it's 48 hours i mean that's 
that's not very long before you got to go start running the line again. And, uh, you know, if you got enough sets out and you're in this type of country where it's freezing, you know, you don't, you don't typically set traps around here until the fur is good. Cause that's what we're doing it for. We're doing it for the fur. Um, it's, <laughs> it's an, it's, it's an art and it's, it's definitely something that has made me a better predator hunter. A hundred percent. I mean, a better collar. It made me having a good base like that is definitely a reason why I have been successful and have learned and had a learning curve that has been cut a little bit shorter than most guys is because I've done a lot of those things. You know, I didn't have YouTube and I didn't have, um, a lot of those, a lot of those uh, avenues that the kids have nowadays, um, you know, and, and trapping taught me a lot of where the coyotes were traveling, what they were doing. Um, you know, that, that, that sort of thing makes a huge difference. There's boundaries and every boundary is where a trapper really wants to be. A trapper wants to be on that boundary because you take this pile of scat from wherever you got it from and you take the pile of scat you found on the spot the spot you want to trap you pick it up set the other one down set your trap on that boundary that coyote that took a shit right there the other one's coming by and he's smelling that one and going what's he doing in my country well he's sniffing that area hopefully he gets caught in that three inch square you put in the dirt That's a lot so, of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's, it's more work than, you know, most guys are willing to put in really. Um, I wished I lived in a, in a state that we had more, more coyotes and more private property and more uneducated. I mean, even these coyotes are educated to a trap. It's that sad around here. I mean, you got guys just hunking bait down a hole and, and, uh, you know, not bedding their traps properly. And I, I, I've been, I'm a lot of the reason too. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not a perfect trapper, but I've learned and I've had to learn the hard way. You know, you got coyotes digging your sets up and things like that. Uh, it makes it hard on a guy. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I love trapping. It's, I definitely picked it up a heck of a lot more this year just for the simple fact that, you know, I got, it's basically something to prove to myself, um, taking some of those coyotes out that I can't get to come to a call. I go in those spots and I try to trick them with a, with a trap. And I, I love that. I love, I, I've been trapping for 20 years. I haven't been setting coyote sets mainly. I've moved over to the coyote end of things this year a heck of a lot more and just targeting coyotes um, for the simple reason, you know, if I can't make them come to a call, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to trick them a different way. I just enjoy it. I just enjoy trapping. So when you say they're digging up your sets, do you like literally mean they're digging the traps out of the ground? Yeah. There's, there's coyotes, this is no shit, there's coyotes smart enough to know where your chain's at, and they'll dig the chain up and put the trap clear over here and and run your set. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you're, you're never, ever going to fool 
a coyote's nose. You're just simply trying to get him to stay in that area long enough to get caught. Hmm. I mean, I take my dogs a lot. That's a lot of my success is attributed to my dogs that way too, because I, I take my dogs and they run out in front of me in my pickup truck. And as soon as my dogs stop and start sniffing something and they piss on something, that tells me there was another dog there. I need to set right there. And so I set my trap right there. They, they cut a lot of the work out for me. I, didn't, I don't know if a lot of trappers trap that way. I've never really ran into a whole bunch of guys that trap with dogs, but it's definitely a big success for me to have my dogs with me. I mean, they, they, they tell me and show me things. If you're willing to watch your dogs that you would never, ever, ever pick up on in a million years out there by yourself. Never, ever. When we were kids. Uh, a dog's nose. I mean, there's this tree. There's this tree I go past on my line that only my females pee on. Only. My male doesn't even look at this, at this spot. My two females, they stop. They circle it. They do their thing. Off they go. The male doesn't even pay attention to it. This is multiple days, multiple days that they do this. Well, I thought to myself, how the heck am I going to make a set here? It was just a spot that it was really hard to make a set. And you knew that that coyote was educated. Well, I, I did my best and I put just a tiny bit of gland lure. I didn't put anything else in it, but I punched just a tiny pinky size hole down in this, this deal and put just a tiny bit of gland. And we had a big storm come through. Well, that coyote, she came over, did exactly what she needed to do. She, I watched her and I was so excited because I pulled in on my line and I could see her track coming down. I think she's a female. I don't know because I didn't catch her. I'm going to tell you the story right now. But she coming down there, headed right for that tree. And she went to the tree and worked my set and rolled right over my trap. She smelt that gland lure. And, and they roll on a gland for some reason. It's just something, their gland, it's how they put their scent down. Um, cats do it a lot more than dogs, I feel like. But she rolled right over my set, off into the desert she went. She ain't been back since. Hmm. So I just missed her by six inches, you know. It was just neat to know that just watching my dogs, that's what I needed to do. And and I, it was just my fault. I should have put two or three sets underneath that tree instead of just one. So how many traps do you typically run in, in a line? Um, you know, not usually more than 24, usually. You know, I've had 40 sets out at times. It's, that's, you get much more over 40. It turns into a full-time job. I'll say 40, I say 40 seems third. like a lot to work. Well, most of these guys that are super successful are running 80 to 80 to 200 traps, but what they're doing is setting their traps all in a, you know, day, it takes about two days, set all their traps. Well, as soon as they're done setting their last trap, they turn around and they just start checking their traps and it takes them another, you know, day to, to drive through and reset, fix, do what you need to do to get all the way through their line. But, you know, these guys are putting eight to 10 coyotes in the truck a day, you know, 10% on your line is really good. That's, that's, that's pretty good. If you're going to, you're going to trap a hundred traps in the dirt, 10, you know, if you catch 10 coyotes a day, that's, you're doing that's good. really good. Yeah. Well, what yeah, you're you, you got to be in a real, 
real thick, coyote-rich environment for sure. I say, well, with what you're saying, uh, 10, 10 coyotes over what you say two days worth of work, that's $500 a day the right time of year. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's yeah, a pretty good paycheck. There ain't nobody doing that in Utah, I can guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's almost a numbers game. Is playing is how many traps you put out to the more traps the better sort of but you're not going to get one in every trap no absolutely not so how much you talk about environment and uh, like utah and other states and how much does the environment play and like the i want to say litter size of a coyote i mean what like what's the average litter Average litter is probably four, four to six. Six is pretty big, I feel like. Um, Coyotes are so persecuted around here. We even go as far as doing what we call denning, denning coyotes. We follow their tracks back in the spring, either on horse or on foot. We get back to the den site and we dig the pups up out of the den because i mean there's you know a brand new rifle at the bottom of that that hole basically you know what i mean there's 500 bucks at the bottom of that hole yeah um but where i was going with that was i've dug up enough dens and seen enough stuff that i feel like four is a good average and i it just depends it just depends on you know this is all biologists and everybody else is book smart telling me this stuff, but I feel like there's a lot to it is if there's enough food in the, in the, in the area that those coyotes are, you know, they're going to have more pups or if they were persecuted throughout the season way more than normal. And majority of the brothers and sisters got killed that year. Um, they're going to have more, They're going to have more pups. They're going to have more depending upon, you know, the pressure and, you know, the outcome of the season, basically. From what they say, a coyote can adapt their litter. Basically, they can they can say, hey, we're going to have we're going to have eight or we're going to have two. Just depending on how many how many made it from the years prior and how much food they have of what they need to do that that's how adaptive and how smart they these creatures are i feel like and you know i'm not the one that came up with that and i don't know if it's really true but i feel like there's a lot of science to it so like we touched on in the beginning of the podcast you it seems almost as if you you ran the gambit for almost three years here what makes a, a national and world champ coyote hunter ground private property (laughs) (laughs) knowing that you're not better than any one of them guys showing up at the tournament is huge because only thing tournaments boil down to is capitalizing on what you call in and having the ground necessary to provide the number you need I'm I'm the first person to tell someone that I am not a better coyote caller than anybody, but I was better on that day. (laughs) That day we were better 
and we grinded harder and we shot better. I mean, uh, let's just go back to the 2018 national, uh, championship in Rollins, Wyoming. Um, best day of coyote hunting I will ever have in my life. I can say that for sure. Um, we killed 25 coyotes in one day. That's more than I've killed uh, my entire life. Go yeah. ahead. With two <laughs> guys. I killed more multiples than I will ever kill in one day. That day, um, we shot 100%. We never missed a coyote. We never missed a coyote that we saw come to the call. Everything died. Um, it was epic. It was, to say the least, <laughs> it was the most amazing thing that ever happened. And our second place runner up guy did the exact same thing in a whole different part of the country, as far as I'm concerned. Um, on that exact same day, he had almost the exact same outcome. Um, we beat him by one, one coyote that tournament. We killed 31 and he killed 30. Oh. Um, it was, it was a, it was a showdown, no doubt. Um, we won that tournament with me making a hell Mary of a shot. We had just made a stand, very last stand we could make. Um, we had jumped back in the pickup and we were on a time crunch to get back to check in. And if you don't make it back to check in, it doesn't matter if you had 400 coyotes, you're not going to win because you weren't there. It doesn't matter. They just, hmm, great. Go have dinner with everybody else. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, we jumped on the two track, just got in the truck and little did we know Kyle was coming from our backside. And I says, Colton, right there, right there. There's Kyle. We had to bolt bail out of the truck. And I ran over the ridge and that Kyle ducked into a wash. And that Kyle was coming out the other side of that wash. And I got down on my sticks and he just got cruising out across there. And I put that Kyle down in my bottom left of my scope. And he was in the top right. Well, I, I, just i shot <laughs> don't ask me how i hit that coyote i mean it <laughs> it was meant to be that year it was definitely meant to be and uh i hit that coyote it didn't kill the coyote thank goodness i took my gun because i about left my gun because i knew i had a hell of a haul back and i told colton i says go back to the truck and get a range finder no one will ever believe this so I took off across there and I'm yelling out across there, hooping hollering as fast as I can get across there. And uh, Kyle jumped up and I got a shot and killed him. And uh, anyway, I hooked the snare to him, to my belt loop, got my thing. Colton goes 608. It was 608 yards on the dead ass run. I hit that Kyle Dang. to win that. <laughs> it was pretty neat. It was definitely meant shot, to be. Baby. If not, we would have we tied those guys and we would have lost to – would we have lost to him that year? It'd been no, a tie. We still would have won the tournament, but we would have won with the exact same number as the second place team because we had turned in our coyotes five minutes before them. Ooh. So if I hadn't killed that coyote, we we maybe if it, it was it was pretty neat. But uh what what we were talking about, what makes you that, you know, we're very competitive, no doubt me and my partner both and everybody that does these at a high level of competition is very competitive. Um, it's a numbers game 
It's who can put the most stands together and have them be successful in that day. So I think that day we put in 31 or 35 sets and killed 25. And then the next day um, we killed the, the rest of them. And, you know, we had a lot of driving to do and a lot of other stuff to do. And, and we didn't kill that many counts the next day, but that's all it comes down to. It comes down to a numbers game who can be, um, you know, successful with back-to-back stands and just put the cows in the truck, you know, not taking a, you know, not taking a piss break really, because if I'm on stand, I'm peeing on the stand instead of waiting and getting back to the truck and doing it before I jump in the truck or go down the road. I'm starting to call or running the call or running the hand call while I'm taking a leak on the stand. I mean, that's just, if a coyote's going to smell you, he's going to smell you. It doesn't matter if you're, <laughs> you know, everybody's worried about all these cover-up scents and all this stuff. Coyote, if coyote can smell your breath, what are you going to do about your breath? Yeah. So, so what do you, you play the wind for scent? Yeah, I mean, the wind is, I mean, if he's coming down wind, you may as well just get up and go back to the truck. You ain't going to kill that coyote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can do to fool coyote's nose. Not at all. So, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're what you're doing on stand. I hell, there was a guy that was very successful caller that I used to call with when I was very young, and he would smoke cigarettes on stand. Just, just. <laughs> I mean, he smoked cigarettes like he light he lit one with the other. That's just who he was. But also, it was a wind checker. I mean, yeah, he knew right where the wind was going. He knew right <laughs> where the you know what I mean. It it doesn't matter when. You you can play you play the wind, but the wind will play you. So it seems a lot like these coyote tournaments are run. Uh, the only thing I can equate it to here in the southeast is, is similar to a bass tournament. Yeah, where you've got your time, you're allowed to hunt. You have to be back by weigh in or check in time, and if you're not there, then oh, too bad. But yeah, kind of see if you can kind of break down the structure of how these these tournaments work. How. How are so you? there's a lot of a lot of them have changed their format because of reasons for um, high numbers that have been coming in. There's guys that are just like they've lost competitors because of guys like us and a few others that have the capability, the property, and the knowledge to kill a lot of coyotes. So what they have done, even worlds, worlds never was like this there's still a top, they call it a top dog. that's the guys that killed the most. Okay. You buy into that pot. But back in the day, it used to just be who can kill the most, you know, but now these tournaments have had to adapt to other guys that don't feel like they compete can compete. So they adjust the, the structure of the tournament to be, the top three heaviest coyotes is a lot of tournaments. The best of the best runs a lot of that, like the top three biggest coyotes. Like to me, how does that say who was the best coyote hunter? It's mm-hmm. on that day. It's really yeah. not. It's who shot the fattest coyote. Like big deal. Who got lucky enough yeah, we'll say to fat, one. I feel like fast coyote, you're just, who got lucky enough to shoot the big fat coyote? It's, it's a big buck contest. 
Well, and it's a lot, a lot of these guys just go hunt these feedlots and they'll go and hunt these dead pits and things like that, where these, these cows have gorded themselves the night before and they'll just shoot them off the dead pits. And that, that to me is just not, not what I want to hunt against. That's not who I want to hunt against. I, I want to hunt against the guys that want to put up the biggest numbers on that day. Yeah. That's the guys I want to compete against. And that's kind of the reason why I went away from a lot of this competitive stuff is because it's just like the world today. It's all pussified, really. I mean, everybody yeah, wants yeah. a participation trophy. Everybody, everybody wants to win something. And they're adapting these contests to suit all of these people. And I'd soon, I'd soon just go do something else, honestly. Do you think so, any of it is being – they're bowing to pressure from the outside? About the perception that it's just, it's just anti hunters. Yeah, well, not even anti hunters, uh, but even within the hunting community, there are people that just look at coyote hunting, yeah, because they're not going to no, eat absolutely. it as being wanton waste, you know. No, a hundred percent. You know, uh, these tournaments don't start until the fur's good, and I know because I've tried to buy some of the coyotes we've killed back from these tournaments because we know that we can get more money out of those coyotes than even what the tournament sometimes is going to pay. And that's what people don't understand is that these tournaments, they get these big piles. They have a big fur buyer that comes and purchases these, these coyotes. And that's how the, the contest runner, the event coordinator makes his money back too. So, I mean, there's, there's contests like that. Um, you know, there's, there's contests that, uh, it's the first five killed back. It's the first 10 killed that's back. There's tournaments that are uh, like the Nevada State Championship has been one that I've been after for a long time. And it's a very coveted contest. It's, uh, it was, um, but it was one that I was after and I finally won it in 2020 also. Um, but it's just that one is done. 20, basically you have 22 hours to hunt and kill as many coyotes as you can. So you can hunt, you hunt all, they cut you out of there. It's a shotgun start is what they call it. Everybody signs up and leaves from the exact same spot and y'all go and hunt. And then it's the best team back. I, I love that format. That's my favorite format. So you say that property is what makes the tournament, right? So you're from Utah you're hunting in Wyoming or Nevada or how do you go anyway. about, do, do you guys get time to scout or like, how do you go about getting these access to private properties like pre-tournament? So this is a thing that I don't like about the guys that bitch about the big numbers is because those guys are hunting coyotes and signing them up for that tournament. And they're hunting that day. In order for me to win a tournament, it starts months prior, years prior. It's knowing each stand, it's all laid out. It's all, it's very precise. It's knowing where the wind predominantly comes out of, where you need to come from with your truck. So there's no, there's no backtrack. You're not, you can't backtrack. If you're backtracking, you're wasting time. If you're wasting time, you're wasting stands. If you're wasting stands, you're wasting cats. You're getting put in the bed of the truck. Everything is so laid out. And there, there's, I would, I dare say there's 
you know, there's more, more guys now, but there was 10, let's just say 10 that put in the hard work and effort like we did. Like they just, they understand the game. They understand that you need the property. They understand that you need certain things in order to be on top. And it just those, those years and those times, you know, we got beat a lot, but we also were in the top five, a hell of a lot more than anybody's willing to talk about because people don't talk about about you if you take second or less. They only talk about you if you take first. And as soon as you take first, there's a target on your head. <laughs> you know, nobody likes a winner. Nobody likes somebody that succeeds. It's just human nature. Yeah. So, you know, as much as we've talked about Cody hunting and everything, what if somebody's looking to get into Cody hunting, like, what are some of the basic things? Because I've had calls throughout you know, my time in Cody hunting, but I feel like probably my favorite call is I have like a, an open read call, which I can, I can kind of change tones in or whatever. It's not always, you know, if you get, you go out and buy a, I don't know. I just off the top of my head, predator quest. I'll go buy a predator quest call. That's not open read. And it's just one tone. If I'm open read, I can change between calls and stuff like that. But that's I mean, what- comes down to calls, camo, stuff like that. Somebody's looking to get into it. It's all overthought. It's all way overthought. So the best advice I could give somebody is get an open recall. Um, just a small open recall. I've never taken off. Um, I was into big game hunting and guiding and, and stuff like that. And I always had a, a Carlton's fighting cow call around my neck. Basically it's just an open read. It's you can do anything you want to do on an open read. Yeah. There are fighting sounds and there are super, um, you know, realistic, actual real sounds. Cause I built my own sound file with my coyote pups and done a bunch of things like that. There are sounds that can trigger a coyote that is educated or hung up or whatever different than you can do on your open read. I've sat there and just thrown the box at them on my open read as much as I possibly can switch it up. I mean, anything I can possibly think of on open read. I mean, you can do fawn distress, you can do magpie, you can do howls, you can do challenges, you can do pup distress, everything. Those things you can do on an open read that you can on a closed read, but what's going to kill you 90% of your coyotes is just distress. And I mean, you can do all the distress sounds you want on, on an open read. So my advice is just to get a good open read, get comfortable with it, learn it, any open read. I don't care what it says on the box. They all do the same. It's all just a selling tactic for them and buy good, right? I mean, that's what people are in the business for is sell stuff. They're going to tell you this will do this and this will do that. Yeah. You can get different tones and a whole bunch of different stuff, but tones and, sounds and things like that man you could go way back in on on me as a person and what i've said in the past and find out that i have always been uh someone that has you know there there came a time in my life where i just stopped overthinking it you just got to stop overthinking it you just got to basically go out and have fun and find 
uneducated coyotes that haven't heard, haven't heard it. I mean, that's what it boils down to is finding those coyotes that haven't been called at. That's, in my opinion, that's your, your biggest ticket to success. Is there such thing as overcalling? Because I know like with, we do a lot of duck hunting. And within waterfowl, it is very easy to overcall. Can you overcall just, doing a coyote? Absolutely. Yeah, especially if they're call shy like they are call shy birds. Guaranteed there's call shy birds. I'm not a big duck hunter, but I 100% believe in that. Um, for sure. Uh, man. It's just, when you say overcalling, it just really depends on the coyote because there's coyotes that don't like the call shut off, and then there's coyotes that love the call shut off. I mean, how do I know what he had done prior to him? I don't have a clue. You just got to read his body language and figure out what he wants. So tell me, <clears throat> in the southeast here, I, I tell you from my personal experience, if you are going to go coyote, hunt down here we have largely limited visibility if you're not hunting in a pair with a buddy and one of you has a rifle and one of you has a shotgun you are 110 percent going to miss an opportunity to coyote i've had coyotes come out on me on a set at 10 yards and i had a rifle good luck they, they just bust out of the bushes and next thing there they are you don't get a, a chance to see him before they get to you. you. Just you turn to your right, and next thing you know, he's standing there looking at you. So if you don't have that guy with a shotgun that can make that quick reaction shot, you're going to miss that coyote. What is what kind of firearm are you preferring out there out west? Um, my partner will tell you Garrett's the shotgun guy. Garrett's the guy that'll take the hand call down in the thick brush and let everyone else sit above him. Like it's I have always prided myself in. Uh, being the shotgun guy, I've always loved that because that was the ticket to a lot of my success early on in Utah was being able and willing to hunt those places that most guys weren't. And a coyote, to me, feels way more secure coming to a call if he has thick brush. He's not out in the wide open. To get a coyote here in Utah to come across the wide open, I mean, he's got to be flat retarded. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just all there is to it. You just got to be very, very uneducated. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. And so I always was trying to find new ways and new ideas on how to kill coyotes. And that was, you know, of course, now it's all been figured out and it's all, you know, guys figure things out. And, and that was a huge success of mine was getting down with my shotgun. I, I, I still to this day love it. That's, I'd much rather hear a coyote coming than see him coming when I have a shotgun in my hand. Right. When I got my shotgun yeah. in my hand, I, that, that's just my little pitter patter just gets going 90. I love it. That's, I'd much rather hear his little feet just coming across the alkali dirt than I much rather see him. Uh, but you know, in tournaments, you don't you don't leave the pickup unless you got your shotgun in your hand. So, I've, I've always there's always a shotgun on stand, especially in a tournament setting. So, I want to ask you what is your your favorite coyote hunting story? Before you get into that, I, I want to tell you mine. So, okay, I, I, 
Uh, I got too many though. Well, you, you, you can tell me several, but I, I have one. All right, and this is this is a coyote that I did not shoot uh, because of the sorry sob that's in the passenger seat. Uh, <clears throat> so <laughs> I was coyote hunting with a buddy uh, when I was up in Kentucky, and uh, we pulled up to where we were going to make our first stand. We got out there a little late in the morning; it was already daylight. Well, when I stopped, there was a coyote standing on a hill maybe a hundred yards from where, where we parked the truck in a bean field. And, uh, I'm shit, 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 shit. Put the, put the uh, truck in park and I'm getting in the back seat trying to get guns. That was great. We got to get out and get set up. So I grabbed the shotgun or I grabbed my rifle and I set it in the floorboard of the driver's seat, uh, driver's side of the truck. And I'm trying to get the shotgun. I hear him. He says, where's the rifle? Where's the rifle? I said, it's in the floorboard. And as I'm digging for the shotgun, I hear, yeah, and I looked up and I said, did you shoot that coyote? He said, yeah. <laughs> he ran back up to the next hilltop. He went down the valley, come up to the next hilltop, and he shot him about 150 yards with a 17 HMR. Just dropped him dead right there. <laughs> and uh, that was the only one we saw all day. <laughs> but Mine, uh, mine are just kind of, I mean, there's, there's so many, but it's like, what one do you want to hear? The one with my dogs, the one with my partner, the one where I was out by myself. I mean, there's, 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 there's a lot of them that stand out in my head because some of you all my friends know this, that if they call Garrett and tell him about an experience, I'm all ears, man. I don't, I don't forget a cop story and I will not miss a, I mean, my girlfriend could be talking to me, or my ex-wife or anybody, my daughter, everybody knows this. And if you don't start the conversation with Coyote, Garrett's not going to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, if you want me to listen to a, listen to a story you're telling me, just say Coyote every now and then, and I'll listen to every word. But um, my favorite stories are probably outside. I, I have a lot of good ones that are inside tournament settings, but in a tournament setting, you don't have time to enjoy it. And that's another thing that I don't like about tournament hunting is I don't get, I don't get this. My heart doesn't start going. My, my adrenaline doesn't get going. Um, you can't allow yourself to do that because it's just like an army sniper. If he allows himself to get emotionally into it, he's not going to be able to make that shot. And it's the same way for us. If we get emotionally emotionally into the hunt during a tournament, there's a chance that our emotions will get the best of us. And we can't allow that to happen if we're going to come out on top. And so there's a lot of great stories in tournament settings, but my best stories by far are the ones, you know, that I can remember the landscape. I can remember the, the sun setting. I can remember my partner smiling with his big white teeth next to me you know just just things that make the the hair grow on my face and my arms um those are the ones that stand out to me and you know i've got so many of them that i could just bore you guys you know i've got got some that you know we're killing killing coyotes to the point where I've had to run back to the truck and come back and get bullets and go back and still kill coyotes. I have, <laughs> I have some funny stories where I got the nervous shits one opening morning of a coyote hunt and 
I well, told my partner, that one. We, got two, we, got two, we got two coyotes coming to the call. This was actually in a tournament. And I, I looked right at him and says, dude, I'm going to shit my pants. <laughs> and, and I took off running for the truck to go grab baby wipes. And I just crawled because the two coyotes were coming. And I'm sitting there bared down in the sagebrush making a mess of the place. And all I hear is, <laughs> and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I crawl back to the stand. I go, you kill, I killed both of them. Like, hell yeah. That's <laughs> one of my favorites, you know, um, watching the dogs, uh, by far is my favorite. That's I, once they lock and they're just sitting there and you're just in your recliner and you're just hanging out watching your dogs and you're talking your dogs and they come back, they lick you on the face. Like, dad, am I doing that right? And I'm like, <laughs> hell yeah get them again boom they're just gone again it's just man and then you just you wipe up you wipe a whole family out i know it sounds bad but i mean they're so locked and you know you know what coyote you need to kill in order dependent upon their body language so you got two or three that are right here playing the game and then you got other one or two out here that are being nervous and cautious. Well, that's a coyote I want to kill first. So we kill that coyote first because that'll be the first coyote that runs away if we shoot close. So then these other coyotes that are locked in here tight, we shoot that one, don't even worry about it. And then we start work, working and whittling out these other coyotes. That's, those are my favorite stories. I Reading body language on a coyote um, is, my favorite way to hunt, taking the time, especially now that I have a camera in hand, you know, um, knowing what I can get away with, with the camera is a lot of fun. You know, I took a really, really good coyote hunter out. He's a good friend of mine. I've never turned him, I hunted with him. We've always hunted for fun together. His name's, uh, Dustin Peterson. And, uh, man, the kid just understands animals. He's just a He's a very good hunter. He has a great base. So he just understands coyotes. So I was just calling these coyotes to him. And he's like, gee, you get you can take some pictures? And I'm like, yeah, like if you're okay with it, you know. So I'd snap some pictures. We just watched the body language of these coyotes that day. And I got some awesome photos that day because of his patience. He understands body language and understands patience. And that's something I just love. I love to watch a guy that understands coyote body language and my partner has always understood body language better than anybody I've ever hunted with. His name's Colton Gillum. He's out of Wyoming. Um, probably one of the top predator hunters in the nation. Uh, it's just fun. Those are my favorite. Those are my favorite stories of hunting coyotes is just really watching my friends, you know, learn the craft that I've, you know, put so much time and effort into, you know, and, and teaching them certain things that I've had to learn the hard way and they're young and they've watched me learn, you know, you know, he, if you got him on the podcast, he'd tell you the same thing, you know, just watching Garrett and the things that he, he learned from me and I've learned from him. Those are my favorite stories. Those are my favorite hunting stories. But if you want me to tell you one, Full one is probably winning the worlds in 
2019, when we won the world championship, I passed on a bobcat that was looking me in the eyeballs. First thing out of the gate, I was calling, hand calling. Bobcat shows up. I want to kill a bobcat. Can't kill a bobcat if you're going to win a tournament. So we waited and two more coyotes showed up and we killed both both the coyotes because of the patience off the cat. And that was those two, those two won us that tournament. We got back and won that tournament because of patience on that, on that bobcat that was staring me in the eyeballs. <laughs> so <laughs> I got a lot of neat stories, but I mean, heck you go on all night listening to my stories about hunting coyotes. Well, so. tell me, tell me your story about the, the first coyote you ever killed. The first coyote I ever killed. Oh man. Well, I was by myself. Um, he was hand called and it came at the cost of an uncountable number that had already came to the call and left without anything in them. No buckshot, no, no bullets. Couple of years it took me to kill a coyote. And, you know, it was the, the very first coyote that I can remember, it was just textbook. It was just a textbook stand, chest on, 100-yard shot. Just, but all the ones that I missed prior to that and all the ones that got away prior to that with my, my father-in-law and his brother, I can remember the coyotes jumping the call and, like, we just, my mom had, she taught primary and she had this little, cassette tape looking weird thing with a handle on it and I went and bought a Johnny Stewart tape and it was chicken distress and I I plugged it in and you'd you'd have to clap it in there and hit play and run back to your set as fast as you can and get sat down on the brush you know because you thought if you hit play the cops were going to instantly see you and I can remember that uh, just calling those coyotes with that chicken distress is the most annoying thing you've ever heard. And it just never <laughs> shut off. I couldn't go hit pause and I wanted it away from me because I knew I had to get that call away from me a little bit, you know, and that, that was my first stint with, uh, electronic, electronic calls. And then I ended up finding a call, a Fox pro little teeny flashlight call out in Nevada that had been run over. And I sent it to Fox Pro and they fixed it for me. And that was my first electronic call. It was one I'd actually found out in Nevada. <laughs> so do so, you use primarily electronic now? Or? Um, in tournaments, we don't. We don't have time to go out there and put it out there, set it out there. We're looking for those coyotes that didn't see us walk into the stand and are already kind of curious what was going on. We're looking at those eight to 10 minute coyotes that just want to mow the call over and want to come right at you and just shotgun them in the chest, you know, and get back to the truck. We ain't got time to go walk out there and go get that 300 yard coyote. We just want to, we want to throw that fur in the back of the truck and get to the next one as fast as we can. And I feel like the tight country we cover and the stands we have laid out, a hand call works good because I can muffle the sound. I can, I can, I can hear how much coverage I'm getting into the country. I'm calling where an e-call, you know, it's set out there. You're hitting play. All the sounds focused out in front of you. You can't actually hear how loud 
your your being to the country that you're you're fixing to go call you're headed out there and you're already i mean it's amazing how far these cows can hear this this call and guys i feel like over over call and call a little little louder than they ought to sweet do you get a whole lot into camo or um i got a great camo sponsor king's king camo has been with me for I don't know, a long time. And before that I was buying their stuff and I did get caught up in it. Um, and yeah, if it, 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 it plays a part, but not as big as a part as everybody thinks it does. It's ma- mainly your movement and your smell. I mean, I'll say, so it, it seems like wind, your, your smell and wind is probably your biggest factor. Wind is your biggest nemesis by far. Yep. Yep. That's, that's our kryptonite by far. There's nothing you can do about that. And, you know, a a steady five to seven mile an hour wind is my favorite thing to call in. A lot of guys think that's pretty windy, you know, seven mile an hour wind. That's, that's just right. That's, that's keeping your sound out of a lot of the stuff that you're going to be calling. And, you know, it's, it's targeting the coyotes that are close enough to hear it and targeting the coyotes that you want to call. I mean, I like a good steady wind. I like a, I like a little bit more wind than most. And I didn't used to until I started hunting Wyoming with my partner and 20 mile an hour wind. These guys don't go home. I've, I've been home and had a 12 pack in me long before I even thought about going out and talking on our win, but anymore hunting with him, you know, doing, doing things out of my comfort zone and hunting in elements that are out of my comfort zone has taught me a lot too. So, um, wind is by far your biggest nemesis. I'll say, I know, you know, people get a lot into you know, especially with like waterfowl, like we do, they get into like the Sitka and all this crazy camo crap. But I'm like, you look at all these, yeah. Yeah. you look at all these old pictures and dudes got like 10 deer hung up Wait, and they're wearing flannel. flannel. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the, it's funny. I kind of been notorious for that. Just always been in blue jeans and, doing my thing really i mean you can look back at my stuff way back when i was killing quads in the snow and i'm wearing almost wearing the exact same thing i'm wearing now just getting yourself i'm huge on shadows like even even today i'll look at my buddy like dustin the other day i was like damn dude get yourself tucked back in that shadow a little better i'm a little bit more anal than most guys for sitting back but i'm also a shotgun guy so i'm kind of I'm always, I'm always way back in the sagebrush, you know, and my, my back's like crammed into the sagebrush. A lot of my style was Les Johnson, very successful predator hunter, won nationals. I don't know how many times world he's a triple crown winner. Somebody I always looked up to when I was, you know, really hot into it. And that's what Les always did. He was always just way back in the sage. And he didn't care to get up and and glass with his binoculars a whole bunch, you know. He was sitting down way back in the shadows and using a hand call. And that's that's my style. That's what I like to do. Um, You know, I 
I'll get up and I'll get up on a knee and I'll glass. Don't get me wrong, but I'm usually in the shadows tucked, tucked off to the side of the brush, the shadows on. I, I like, I like being back in the, in the shadows of the, of a piece of brush. I mean, I could wear, I could wear blaze orange, honestly, and kill just as many coyotes. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the right country, don't right. get me wrong. I'm not trying to be cocky or arrogant in the right country. If you're going to go to the Nebraska sand Hills, there's not as many, there's not as many big blue sagebrush to sit against or as much rabbit brush to hide yourself in, in the stuff that I've called my whole life, you know, there's certain times that God damn it's it'd be good to have some it'd be good to have some real good camo. <laughs> you know? So don't don't get me wrong, but the stuff I call and the way and the style, a lot of time shit, I'm even standing on my two feet, standing straight up in the air and 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 shotgunning coyotes on an angle down. I mean they're looking they're looking for a call. They're looking for a rabbit that's 10 inches off the ground. They're not looking up in the, you know, and if you're hunting that thick country, like we hunt for some, some of these tournaments, they're just, you know, you're waiting for them to come on by. Like you're just shooting them as they're swinging past you. And that's, that's what I like to do. Hell, I'd much rather be on my standing up on my two feet than I would be sitting on my ass. (laughs) Well, Garrett, we like to end every episode of our podcast with the tip of the week. Uh, just a, just an outdoors related tip, and I I'll be we'll, we'll run round table here. I we kind of hit you with it unexpectedly. We forgot to bring that up to you That's when we okay. started. So <clears throat> I'll I'll lead us off and say that uh, success in the hunt is not always it, it's not the important part. It's it's never what's important or what shouldn't be important. It's it's the you watch the Mastercard commercial where they say tent $300 you know charcoal all this list out the price of everything and then at the bottom it says memories priceless right you go out there it, it's the time you spend with your hunting buddies it's the 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 uh, the things you learn about the the quarry that you chase all those things are invaluable don't wrap yourself up in the success of a harvest because you'll you'll lose what it means to enjoy the hunt so who wants to go next? I don't know. You got me sucked into that one. That's all I can think about now. <laughs> I'll go. <clears throat> Mine is simply enjoy small game. You know, get out there, hone your skills, practice moving. And uh, we've probably covered that one before, but whenever we Any go out- good time <laughs> yeah whenever we go out in some of these wmas and it gives you a chance to explore it every time i go out i learn something new and um, for those that want to be better hunters you have to spend more time in the woods and even if you're hunting a lot during deer season you're probably not spending a lot of time moving around uh, just because of the necessity of how we have to hunt here so your time to explore is probably small game especially down here in the south where if you're out trying to explore in july you're dying you're dying and and, and donating blood to mosquitoes yeah this is the time get out there yeah you knock down a squirrel or two some doves and uh we got a couple hunts coming up so hope to see you out there Seminole forest on january 22nd 22nd 
22nd. 22th. So I'm going to steal something I've heard Garrett say, and uh, I feel like I've done it way too often, is don't overthink it. Right? There's times where you get out there and you're like, you just get so caught up and and overthinking. And I feel like I did this in Tennessee. I I overthought. I set my climber in one spot. I was like, this is going to be a good spot. And then walking back to my climber, I was like, you know what? This area here may be better. Like, uh, this may be a better area to sit. And then I just got to overthinking it and overthinking it and overthinking it. And I ended up sitting where my climber originally was. And walking out, I saw, like, six deer. Where I was thinking originally, I was like, this may be a better area. But I just overthought it so much that I ended up sitting away from where I thought I would be a better area. Yeah. That's a pretty good one because uh, that happened to me at duck season this year. Well, well both me and Jim, because that one time that I'm like, we're just gonna have to go out and have this one hunt in this one spot. Never even hunted there before, and we had a great hunt. I'll tell you, I, I'm the master of carrying my climber a lot further than I need to. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got, Briar? Mine is don't have eye surgery in the middle of hunting season. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of puts a damper on it. Oh yeah. yeah. So for the people that 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 have have listened to the podcast for all this time, Briar is no longer as blind as a bat. Yeah, he's yeah. done have both eyes operated on. He's sitting here with no glasses on. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I didn't realize how blind he was until we were standing like out ten feet away from my truck the other day, and it, I got a Duramax, and he's like, "We're ten feet from it." He's like, "I can read that twenty five hundred on the side of the truck right there." That was when that was when I, like I only had one eye done at that. Time. I know, and, and was, I, I'm like, sitting I there thinking, that, I'm like, no glasses on. Well, those he, those are like one inch or like inch and a half size. Like that's an inch and a half size twenty five hundred, like tall. And I'm yeah. so how in tell, the hell, buddy? You got a long way to go because I'm not picking on you. You're running around with twenty forty and twenty fifty fifty vision right mm-hmm. now, thinking that you're like. I can fight a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I mean, well, it, in my right eye bef- before yesterday afternoon, I was 2400. Right. <laughs> and you, now I'm at 2050. You feel like Chuck Yeager in 2040. <laughs> when do you get to 2020? You're going to be like, wow, I didn't know there was that stuff out there. <laughs> so, Garrett, go ahead right. and impart some knowledge on us. Hey, huh? What's that? I guess it's my turn for tip of the day. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. My tip of the day is uh, take a kid hunting and don't don't do what I did to my daughter. I guess basically is what I'm gonna give you as a tip is don't get caught up in making sure that it dies. You know, make sure that they enjoyed their time out there and you took them hunting and they enjoyed the time. Don't don't worry about the hunt basically. Um, that's, that's been huge to me because it, it took my daughter a long time to want to still like to go, go trap with her dad again and go hunt with her dad again, because only thing she knew from the time she hit the dirt was dad's going to make a coyote stand. And if you screw it up, you're going to be in hot water. And that's something that, uh, I wish I could definitely turn back time and redo is you know being patient and you know 
not everybody's going to be perfect. And I feel like, you know, if you listen and heed my advice right now about that tip of the day, you know, if you're a guy in my situation where you've got some young ones running around and you take them out and have a good time and they enjoy their time in the outdoors, we're going to have some awesome kids up and coming and somebody that's going to take care of this sport and these things in, in the future. You know, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I have found from taking my son, he's five years old, um, that I have had way better hunts when it comes to deer hunting and, uh, actually a better success rate because I can sit longer in the tree stand. If I don't wake him up first thing in the morning, I'll get up before the sun comes up and I'll, you know, stand outside, see what I can see from the camp and hunt there. And when he wakes up, he knows he's, he's deer hunting. So normally he'd get up seven thirty, eight o'clock. He's up at six forty-five, seven. He can decide, dad, we're going to go, we're going to go to the deer stand. I'm like, yeah, put your clothes on. We walk out there at seven, seven fifteen. And yeah. he sits longer that way. He yeah. gets his rest. He's not cranky. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just got to where, you know, it, it probably pours back into that bloodlust thing. You know, I've lost a lot of that, but, uh, I just didn't have patience. I wished I would have had the patience I have now, um, for my daughter's sake and for all those people that hunted with me back then. I mean, I was a, I was an asshole, no doubt, and I wish I could have turned back time and, and, and changed a lot of things and been the guy that I am today where if it runs over the hill, it is what it is. You know, I almost treated every day like a tournament setting back then, and I wished I could take those times back and laugh going back to the truck without pulling a coyote behind us, you know. That's my, that's my, that's my tip. I just, I, I hope somebody takes something away from that and can learn from my mistakes and, and be a better person. Like I'm trying to be hundred percent. Well, Garrett, I really appreciate you joining us and imparting some serious knowledge on us as far as getting rid of coyotes goes. That yeah. was a very interesting podcast. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys enjoy it and I hope your listeners enjoy it and you guys are awesome and I appreciate the time. Yeah. So, you want to tell us about some of your social media or whatever so we can link it in our podcast description? Yeah, absolutely. So my personal account is at Brush Wolf Hunter. It's underscore in between each one of those. If you just type in Garrett Johnson, it'll usually pull it up. Um, other than that, you know, I used to promote my brand and do that kind of stuff. But anymore, I'm just kind of kind of there to just take pictures and enjoy life anymore really slow slow it down man let's say i know at one point you used to have what was it uh mule deer insurance mule deer insurance, mule deer insurance. yeah 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 that was my gimmick really i mean it was fun it you know coyote <laughs> sniper is kind of a name that i made for myself that was a coined phrase uh it's it's gone a lot of places it's got a lot of hashtags coyote sniper is kind of cool um, I used to do apparel and, and gear and all these things, but I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I just, I just hope people follow me for the right reasons, love the outdoors and love watching my journal. I use Instagram as my journal. It is, uh, a journal for not only just my hunting, but my life. So well, if we'll people want to jump on, follow along. We'll send our listeners your way. Good deal. I appreciate that guys. No problem. We thank you for joining us. I'll do. I'll do the same. We'll. We'll. Uh, we'll definitely 
promote this podcast and get you guys, you know, out there just the same way. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. We'll catch you guys next week. Good hunting.